0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11, which can be found on page 1120 in your pew Bibles, and we have been uh, looking at this idea of Jesus Saying that he is the good shepherd. Last couple of weeks, you may have noticed some more sheep on your bulletin again this morning. And uh, Isaiah talks about that sort of thing as well. Uh, before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. <laughs> Lord, we ask that you would help us uh, to stay attentive to your word in the midst of all the distractions of this world. God, we thank you for for speaking to us. And God, we do pray that you would give us ears uh, to listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If that is your vehicle and you need to go deal with that, (laughs) by all means. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Turning then to Philippians. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Paul is writing to this church in Philippi from a Roman prison He awaits his trial, and as he talks about the humility of Jesus in chapter 2 and how Jesus uh, took on flesh for our good, then he turns and looks at his his own self and self-righteousness and looks at uh, how that compares to the things of Jesus to knowing Jesus. And here's how he puts it. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 14, he says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever word gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not, take, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You're all familiar with the way knock-knock jokes work. But I'm still going to explain how they work anyway. It's one of the things I love to do is over-explain things that people already know. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to do knock-knock jokes this morning. So here we go. Let me see. One of my favorites from when I was a kid goes like this. And you don't have to answer. I'll do the whole thing. <laughs> but it goes, knock-knock, who's there? Let us. Let us who? Let us in. It's freezing out here. Ah, it's a good one a good one. I also have to tell you it's a good one because you otherwise would not properly appreciate it. But this is the format. This is the way these things work. It's the idea is you have someone who is standing outside the door and they're knocking and then somebody else is supposed to answer it. And of course, the initial question, because there is no peephole in this door, is who's there, right? And so knock, knock, who's there? And then they give the name, well, that name who, and then the punchline. And uh, because it it's such a familiar format, then people start playing with the format. And so instead of let us who, oh, let us in, it's freezing out here, uh, they start using the, the format itself. And so you have things like knock-knock, who's there? The owl says, the owl says who? Exactly. Ah-ha, okay. Or, likewise, knock-knock, who's there? <laughs> Boo. Boo-hoo, why are you crying? Um, If any of these you have not heard before and you want to take these and uh, use them on your friends, my apologies to them in advance. The reason I bring this up, though, is not just to teach you jokes that you can... (laughs) uh, (laughs) These are the jokes, by the way, that I used to torment my big sister when I was little. (laughs) And uh, that's not the point of these. The reason I bring this up is because of the format itself. Uh, so in, I think this is a helpful way of thinking about what's going on in the passage we're looking at today as well as in our own hearts. Jesus, we have in Revelation 3, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Knock, knock. <laughs> it's there. It says, uh, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So the idea is fellowship between us and Jesus. And the way that the metaphor is given is kind of this format of the knock-knock joke. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. The question is, are we going to hear the voice? Are we going to open the door and have this fellowship? And so um, in the passage we're looking at this morning, this is in John uh, chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. And it is a longer passage and we're going to be able to fully unpack. So I'm just going to Pull out a few things that I want us to uh, to note in this passage, more of an overview of what's going on in general, which I think the knock-knock joke will be helpful. Uh, it talks about the festival of dedication, just so you know in advance, that is Hanukkah. And so if you've always wondered about uh, if Hanukkah is in our Bibles, this is where it is. <laughs> uh, it doesn't say a whole lot about this. This is the time that took place uh, in between our Old Testament and New Testament when uh, the, the temple had been, uh, well, the people in the temple had been taken over Roman occupation and they had really desecrated, uh, the temple in some pretty profound ways and doing things that should not be done there. And so some people kind of rise up and drive them out and then they go and purify the temple. That's something that needed to happen. So they did that. And then af- after that, they celebrate that every year, uh, in the winter time when this took place and, uh, and so, as it's taking place, Jesus goes to Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah, or the Festival of Dedication. Um, <clears throat> this is called here. Anyway, let's just read it. Then I'll explain the whole knock knock thing. Here we go. Then it then came the Festival of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's Colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, "How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly." Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside... What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. We have talked multiple times about how John has written this book uh, with a particular purpose. And this is He tells us in John chapter 20, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The passage that we're looking at right now, John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42, in this little interaction he's having uh, with the Jewish leaders, it is as though uh, they are asking you know, are you the Messiah? Who's there? He's knocking at the door and they're saying, who's there? And the answer that's given is he is the Messiah and he is the Son of God. And Jesus, or, and John says, I want you guys, I want everybody who reads this to understand that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the Son of God. And I want you to know that so that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. That's what I want for you. And this is where that comes from. And, and so I want you to know that about him. But what's interesting is when Jesus answers the question, you know, it's knock-knock, who's there, you know? And so what they want is a clear answer. And so they say um, in verse 24, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I mean, so this is the, are you the Messiah question? Simple yes or no? That shouldn't be a problem. And does Jesus give them a simple yes or no? Oh, almost never. <laughs> but with good reason here. Think about this. Have you ever heard those riddles where it's like, um, you know, there's one person who always tells the truth and another person who always tells a lie and you got to figure out which way to go, but you can only ask one of them one question. Anyway. Like, how do you sort that out if you know uh, somebody's either going to tell the truth or lie? And so if you think about, you know, if the Messiah is really the Messiah and you say to them, are you the Messiah? They should be able to say yes. What's so hard about that? On the other hand, if there's a false Messiah and you ask them, are you the Messiah? What are they going to say? Well, they're going to say yes, too. So answering that question gets you nowhere. (laughs) And so Jesus doesn't give the simple yes or no. Here's what he does instead. He gives them um, the duck test. You know the duck test? If it walks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, right? <laughs> and so uh, in this case, it's as though he pulls out a duck and he's like, take a look at this. And they're like, what is that? Come on, you know what this is. <laughs> I don't know. It's, a, it's an animal. But there are a lot of animals. He's like, well, let's look at it walk. How does it walk? Well, you know, a lot of animals walk. Yeah, but it walks like a duck. All right, well, you let it swim, okay. Yeah, a lot of, you know, fish swim. What's, you know, it doesn't say, yeah, but it doesn't swim like a fish. It swims like a duck. <laughs> and you listen to it quack, and it doesn't quack like a donkey. It quacks like a duck, <laughs> you know, and so maybe you can start drawing your own conclusions here that it is, in fact, a duck. This is the way it works. Now, when you look at Jesus, you say, okay, well, we're, we're going to look at how he walks and how he swims and how he quacks. And yes, we are. Here's the deal. This is the test that Jesus kind of puts forward. The way that he puts it is not, look at how I uh, walk and swim and quack. What he says is, look at the works that I've been doing. And the way that he ties the works that he's been doing always to the Father. So go ahead, I challenge you right now. Read back through that passage, just sort of skim through. Every time you see the word works, if it's on the mouth of Jesus, he is tying it straight to his Father. And when they respond and they use the word works, they ignore the Father. (laughs) It's good to note. So here's the point, is Jesus is tying everything he's doing to what his Father is doing. And that's why he says, I and the Father are one. We are in this together all the way through. And so you look at the things, okay, well, what are some of the works that Jesus has been doing? Let's look at how he walks. And what are some of the things that he's done? Well, some of the things he's done is he's turned water into wine. Well, we we were looking at John 2. This is what God does, right? He turns water into wine. Sure, it's a longer process and by Use of a a vine. Jesus does say later, he's a true vine. I don't think this is what he means. But the idea is that he, you know, just as a vine draws water up through the roots and then makes grapes and then grapes ferment and you have the whole deal, water into wine. Who does that? God does that. And now we see Jesus doing that. Um, What else does Jesus do? Well, we see him feeding people bread in the wilderness. Well, who does that? You flip back into you know exodus, and uh you see that God does this, he feeds his people bread in the wilderness and uh so you look at the ways that um, that God is concerned with uh undoing the effects of sin and the brokenness that that causes in relationships and in in bodies in the whole world, and says so, you know God wants to eventually undo all of that, that the curse would be. Completely undone. And what do you see Jesus doing as he goes and he meets with people who are broken and hurting? We see um, in chapter 5, there's a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus goes in and, hey, take up your mat and walk. And his body that was not working is now working. He goes, John chapter 9, he's a man who, uh, his eyes are not working. He's blind for his whole life, born that way. And Jesus makes his eyes work again. Or makes his eyes work for the first time. Giving sight to the blind. These are things that uh, you see the Father doing. People even say at the time, you know, nobody's ever seen anything like this. This doesn't happen. People can't do this. And so when you look at how Jesus walks, well, he walks like God in the flesh. <laughs> well, how does he swim? Okay, there aren't any passages of Jesus swimming, but, but there are a couple that may come to mind. The first one I'm going to talk about, though, is his baptism. When Jesus goes down into the water, no, it's not him swimming, <laughs> But uh, when he goes down and is baptized to fulfill all righteousness, uh, he goes down into the water kind of in solidarity with all of Israel and really all of humanity. And when he does this, what happens? But heaven is open. The Spirit of God uh, descends upon him. And there's this voice that says, this is my son whom I love. And with him, I am well pleased. And so you see this (laughs) close identification with the Father and also with all people. And it's as though even in the way that he uh, is swimming, uh, in in his baptism is this um, sign of him being the Messiah. The other time, of course, that may have sprung to your mind when I talked about swimming is Jesus not swimming in the water but just walking on top of it, you know, like no one else does. (laughs) You know how many more medals Michael Phelps would have if he could do this? But nobody does this, except you go back to the Old Testament, Genesis and Psalms, and you see, oh, God does that. He walks on the water. (laughs) And so, again, you look at the things that Jesus is doing, and it's exactly what he says. You know, the works I'm doing uh, from my Father. This is what I do. And then you say, okay, well, how does he quack? Well, he doesn't quack, but he does speak. And when he speaks, what are the things that he says? He says things, I mean, when he's in the temptation in the wilderness... What are the things that he says in response to the devil's temptations? He quotes the Bible. He's speaking the word of God. That is what he says. Uh, when he goes around and preaching and teaching, what's he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of God having come near. Uh, he talks... A lot of things he's talking about. Uh, and teaching what it means to be a part of this kingdom. And he even go so far as to uh, to say this is one of the things that gets him in trouble <laughs> to say things like your sins are forgiven people are like you can't say that only God can say that just like well, hello <laughs> and so you look at the duck test applied to Jesus this is the way he answers the question it's like knock knock Who's there? You know, you're the Messiah? And he's not like, yes. <laughs> but instead, it's like he just shows them a highlight reel. <laughs> this is what I've been up to. Can, can you figure it out? Look at how I walk. Look at how I swim. Look at how I quack. <laughs> what do you think? Duck? Yeah. So this is the idea. So as we're looking through here, they should very easily be able to tell if they've been paying attention at all, yeah, this is the Messiah. This is absolutely the Messiah. This is the Son of God, and so that by understanding that He is the Messiah and the Son of God, that they would believe in Him and have life in His name. That's what John is saying. He wants for everybody who reads this book. But that is also what's uh, what's been going on, is Jesus is knocking at these doors and saying, you know, if you hear my voice, you are going to open the door. I'll come in and eat with you. You with me, and we will have um, fellowship together, and you will have life. I give them eternal life, as he says in John 10, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. But how do they respond? He says, look at what I've been doing, and the ways that my works are so tied to the Father, that I and the Father are one. And instead of saying, ah, now we see that you are the Messiah. And there are people who do say that. So <laughs> we saw at the end of the chapter, but a bit before that, we have these leaders who say, no, now we have to kill you. Yep, we're going to kill you because you're making yourself too closely identified with God. They have all the evidence right there before them, and they reject it. not because there is no evidence, but because they don't want to accept it. It reminds me of uh, Acts chapter 7, where Stephen gives a very similar kind of a uh, speech where he goes through the Old Testament and shows how the whole Old Testament has been pointing towards Jesus, and then Jesus comes, and he killed him. (laughs) But that he really was who he said he was, And when he gets to the end of the speech, um, he says, Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so how do they respond? Do they tear their clothes in repentance and, uh, and mourn over their own sin and ask to be saved? They do not. Acts chapter 7, verse 57, it says, At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. That's the response. It's been laid out there clearly for them to see and they do not want to see. And so they plug their ears and they yell at the top of their voices and so it is in effect the grown-up version of la-la-la-la-la, I can't hear you, I'm not listening. That's what they're doing. And it's the same thing that's happening here in uh, John chapter 10. As Jesus says, I've given you all the evidence. If you're really paying attention, you'll see who I am. But they don't want to. Um, we're talking in the children's sermon about how Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come to have have life and have it to the full. One of the things he's saying here is my sheep know my voice. I know them and they will follow and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We see the leaders here not listening to Jesus' voice, not recognizing this voice. But at the same time, there are those who do, who do hear and who do recognize. And he says, they hear my voice, uh, they listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. We've been looking at Jesus as the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the good of his sheep. But now we also see him as the one who leads his sheep. And as he leads his sheep, what is he leading us in doing but the same kinds of things that he's been doing. And this is where we're talking about the things that God has created us for, not just to stay away from the bad things, but to do the good things that he's created us to do. And Jesus leads us in doing those things, in uh, both the turning away from sin and turning to God and walking with him in all that he's set before us. And so the question is, Jesus is knocking. Are we listening? Are we keeping the door closed? Or are we letting him in? Are we having that fellowship with him? One final knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Fantastic. Uh, (laughs) Knock-knock. Stop, watch. Stop what you're doing and let him in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.